Hi again, everybody. It's Brian. I want to welcome you to the podcast for Mount Hope's Belmont campus. We're continuing with our series, The Best Things That You'll Do This Year. And did you know there's an action, a good action, that you could do this year, but your motivation for doing it will either lead you closer to God or further away from God? It's a good action, but why you do it matters. Jesus talked about this. We're going to talk about it together today, and I hope you'll listen closely because I believe that God has something that he wants to say to you. A couple, uh, couple days ago, I was scrolling through the news app on my phone, and uh, you know, it's one of these apps that takes news from all sorts of different websites and puts it into one place, and you can scroll through and see what you want to read about. So I was scrolling through, and there was a title of an article that really caught my eye. It was from Time Magazine, and the article was titled, Why You Don't Need to Work Out Every Day. And I liked that title. That title spoke to me. And so I clicked on the article, and it appeared January 9th of this year in Time Magazine. And so I read the article, and in the article, uh, a group of researchers were saying uh, that it's okay to be a weekend warrior when it comes to exercise. So weekend warrior is a term that's used for the person who doesn't have time to uh, work out during the week. They're a busy person, and so they cram it all in on Saturdays and Sundays. There's no time during the week to do it, but on Saturdays and Sundays, they get it all in. And the researcher said, what is most important is that you get 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week or 150 minutes of moderate exercise per week. What is less important is whether or not you spread it across a number of days. So if you can pack 75 minutes of vigorous exercise into Saturday and Sunday, you will receive uh, as, as much benefit as if you spread it out through the course of the week. Now, I'm not sure that that's true, but it definitely gets people to click on your headline and read your article. But they were saying that it was true. And it struck me uh, as I read that article that that's exactly how many of us try to approach our relationship with God, isn't it? We think to ourselves, you know, if I could just be a, a, a weekend warrior in my relationship with God, if I could cram 75 minutes of vigorous spiritual exercise into a Sunday morning, then maybe that will be just as good and just as beneficial as spreading that out through the course of the week. If I could make my weekends uh, more focused on my relationship with God and really spend a good amount of time, uh, 75 minutes or even 150 minutes, focusing on God on the weekends, Uh, then I'll get a similar benefit as the people who would spend uh, time with God throughout the week. And so we're busy people during the week. We have a lot going on. We're tired. We're worn out. And so what we do is we take that spiritual exercise and we cram it all into the weekend or every other weekend or Easter and try to get the same benefit, the same benefit as spreading that out across the days. Well, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, you know we're in this sermon series that we're calling the best things that you will do this year. And what we're specifically talking about is we're talking about those things that you and I can do that will help us this year to grow closer to God. 
If you're the kind of person that wants to know God more, no matter where you're starting from today, if you're the kind of person that wants to know God more, if you're the kind of person that wants to grow in your relationship with him, if you're the kind of person that wants to go deeper in your walk with God, then there are certain things that we can do. And so we're talking about those things over this month. What are the things that you and I need to do? And the thing that we're finding is that if we're going to grow deeper in our walk with God, if we're going to grow in our relationship with him, then we can't just be weekend warriors. We need to be people who are disciplining ourselves over time, spending time with God in different ways and doing the things that he asks us to do. We said right at the beginning of this series that the best things you'll do this year in your relationship with God are the things that nobody sees. And we talked the first week together about scripture and how important the Bible is in our daily lives. And last week we talked about prayer and how Jesus calls us to pray secret, simple, and sincere prayers. And this week we're going to talk about another good action that Jesus calls us to. It's another action uh, that people are supposed to not see us do. Another one of these best things that happens that nobody sees. And we're going to talk about this action, but we're not just going to talk about the good action itself. We're also going to talk about our motivation for doing this action. You see, there's something that Jesus talks about in the Bible that we're going to look at this morning. And Jesus says it's not just the action that you need to be doing, but you also need to do this action with the right motivation in order for it to increase your faith, in order for it uh, to grow you deeper in your walk with God. We know that motivation for things matters, right? It matters to us. It doesn't just matter to us that people do good things. It matters to us why they do them, what their ultimate goal is. We've all encountered people that do good things, but the motivation behind the good act takes away from the act itself. Have you ever had someone apologize to you because they were forced to apologize to you? Because a parent told them they had to, or a boss told them they had to, or a teacher told them they had to. It's nice that they apologized. But when they're forced to do it, the motivation changes the whole thing. Have you ever had someone tell you that you look nice or that they love you just so you'll say it back? It's nice that they say it. But the motivation behind it, you know all they want to do is for you to say it back. That's why they said it in the first place. And so it takes something away from the good act because our motivation matters. If I was to go to my wife, who's sitting in the back there, if I was going to go to my wife and I said to her, honey, have I told you today just how beautiful you are? Her first reaction might be, what do you want? (laughs) And now maybe I am just telling her how beautiful she looks today, but chances are I would say, well, there is this one thing I was hoping you might be able to do, and our motivation matters. It takes away from my comment. The fact that I have a selfish motivation. So our motivation matters. And Jesus this morning is going to tell us about something that we should be doing. And I bet all of us will agree that this is a good action that we should be doing. But in this action especially, Jesus says to us, the reason why you do it matters. Not just to you, but it really matters to God as well. And if we get the motivation wrong, even if we do this good thing, Jesus says, 
We can actually lead ourselves further away from God if we have the wrong motivation. But if we have the right motivation, we will lead ourselves closer to him. This thing that Jesus is talking about is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. And this is what Jesus says. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. Jesus comes to his disciples and he says to them, listen, there's a good action that you need to do. Uh, In fact, Jesus assumes that they're already going to do this action. And that is Jesus comes to them and he says, when you give to those in need or when you are acting generous, when you are giving... And I think all of us would agree, if we're followers of Jesus if we're, or if we're not, that being a generous person and giving to those who are in need is something that we should do. That is a good action. And Jesus thinks the same thing. In fact, he assumes it. He, says, he doesn't say, if you give to the needy or it, should you choose to give to the needy. He's not trying to convince his followers that they should give to those in need, that they should be generous. Jesus just assumes that it's going to happen. When you give to those in need, when you practice generosity, this is what you should do. And I think all of us would agree. I don't know that we would have to convince people that giving to those in need and being generous people is a good thing. It's certainly something the Bible calls us to. If we're people who follow God and we're, we're people uh, who call ourselves Christians, giving and being generous people, holding on loosely to the things of this world, understanding that everything that we have is God's and he gives it to us to steward. It's not ours to control. That's all throughout God's word. That's all throughout the Bible. And we could talk about all that, but it's a sermon for a different day. This morning we want to focus on What Jesus is telling us about how we should go about generosity, what is our motivation? And you know, no matter where we find ourselves in life, no matter where we find ourselves in this world, we all have an opportunity to be generous or not. Sometimes we can write it off because we know people that have more than we do. And so we say to ourselves, well, being generous should really be their job. Giving the way God tells us to give, that's their job because they have more than I do. But God doesn't give us that option and neither does Jesus here. If we're followers of him, it's assumed, when you give. And no matter where we are in life, we can be generous. I'm sure all of us have known people that didn't have a lot of material possessions in this world yet we're exceedingly generous. If you needed a jacket and they had one, they'd give it to you. If you needed a dollar and they had one, they'd give it to you. Not because they had abundance, but because they were generous people. 
And so it's important for us to recognize right at the start that for all of us, this is what we are called to, especially if we call ourselves followers of Jesus, that we are to be generous people who are willing to give. But Jesus says that there's a way that we should go about it. That it doesn't just matter that we do give. In fact, like I said, he assumes that. But how we give is extremely important. The reason why we give is extremely important. You see, for many of us, and Jesus knew this about us, this is why he says it. For many of us, we most often give, we are willing to be more, most generous when we understand the return we are going to receive for our generosity. When we can see the benefits right in front of us for our giving, for our generosity, we are much more likely to give and give generously. In fact, when we know that we're going to be recognized for our giving, then we're willing to do a little bit more. It's good motivation for us to give. Fundraisers know this. That's why they offer us the opportunity to get our name on a wall or on a plaque. In fact, just a few days ago, Lori and I took our children to the Museum of Science down in Boston. It's one of the places uh, that we enjoy going. And one of the things that struck me as I walked around the museum this week is I had never noticed before just how many nameplates there are throughout the museum. So whether that's the corporate sponsors as you walk in from the parking garage or as you're in the atrium, there's a huge wall with all the sponsors. Or as you're walking around through each room, there is nameplate after nameplate after nameplate, plaque after plaque after plaque, thanking somebody for their generosity. Every pillar in each of the galleries, all four sides of each pillar have a plaque thanking someone for their donation and their generosity. I had never noticed it before, but the more I looked, the more names I saw. Even the escalators at the Museum of Science are donated and a, thank, a thanksgiving is given to somebody. And fundraisers know this. If we're going to get recognition for our giving, we're more likely to give. We like to be recognized. We don't mind seeing our name up on a wall for doing something good. And people that are fundraising the money know this. That's why every time you go to a zoo or a museum or a hospital or the public park, there are names everywhere of people who donated the wing, who donated the room, who donated the tree, and who donated the park bench. Because there's something inside of us that likes to be recognized. We like to get credit when we do something good and give generously. In fact, if, if it takes a little bit more money to get our name on the wall, we might just be willing to do that so that we get the recognition. We give and we're generous when we're going to get recognized, but we also are more prone to give and be generous uh, when we think that people will like us more around us. You've been in the line at the grocery store and you've been buying your groceries, and the cashier says something to you like, will you please donate a dollar towards our campaign for fill-in-the-blank? And you look, and there's clovers or hearts or stars or uh, some other shape that's in Lucky Charms that up on, the, up on the wall, and people's names are on all of the things because they've given the dollar. And, and you, you have this moment, right, 
where you're not sure you really want to give the dollar, but it's only a dollar, and the last thing you really want is for the cashier to think that you're a jerk, right? And so you feel pressured into giving the dollar because you want the person to think you're a nice person. You want them to think that you're a good person. And it's the same thing when we slide the change in the red bucket uh, with the guy ringing the bell and we make sure it clanks off the top of the bucket so he knows that there's something going in there. It's the same thing when we're at the coffee shop or Paisano's and we throw the tip in the jar. We want people to notice. We want it to make noise so so that people know that we're giving something, that we're being generous, and they should be thankful And so we're generous when we're going to get recognized or when we think people will like us more. And we're definitely generous when we feel like we're going to get something in return. That's why, you know, the next door neighbor girl comes over and she knocks on your door and she says, will you give $20 uh, to my softball league? And you're not really into softball and, and, and you don't really want to give the $20 and so you're about to say no, but then you realize that really it's only a $10 donation. And the other $10 enters you into the 50-50 raffle where the first prize is $1,500 to the winner. And all of a sudden we're a little bit more interested in donating to Little League softball than we were previously. Because when we can see the return that's coming, we're more likely to be generous That's why we're prone to being, I would say, duped by the person on TV who says, if you give me 10 bucks, God will give you 100. Because we like immediate return on our our generosity. We like people to notice. We want a reward. We want something back. And if we think we're going to get recognized or we think that people are going to like us more or we think that we might get something in return, we're more apt to do it. That's the reason PBS gives out tote bags, not because we need more tote bags. We have plenty of tote bags, but because they know that people are more likely to give if they get something in return. And here's what Jesus says in this passage. Very simply, Jesus says, don't give like that. Don't give that way. Don't allow recognition for others from others. Don't allow people liking you more. Don't allow a return on your investment to be the motivation for which you give. In fact, he says, if that is the motivation for your giving, you might be able to give a ton of money. You might do a great work. You might be able to give exceedingly generously, but there will be, listen to what he says, there will be no reward from your Father in heaven. If that's the motivation, Jesus says, if that's the reason for your giving, if that's the reason for your generosity, is so that you might be recognized, so that you might get credit on the tax return, so that you might be the one whose name is in lights. If that's the reason you're doing it, then enjoy that recognition because that's the only reward that you'll receive. And it seems so counterintuitive to us, doesn't it? We would think that if we gave a lot of money, if we were very generous, that God would be impressed with that, that he would be happy that we did that. Doesn't he tell us to do that? Doesn't he tell us to help those who are in need? We would think that God would give us a giant thumbs up. But Jesus is saying that you can actually do that good work. You can do that good deed. And if the motivation behind your reason for doing it is wrong, that there's no reward from your Father in heaven. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say that when you give, your motivation should be so pure that your right hand should not even know what your left hand is doing. 
Now, obviously, that's impossible. They're controlled by the same brain. But the hyperbole of it is clear. Jesus is saying, your motivation should not be to give and worry about the reward, which is often how we give. We are often generous when we feel like we're going to be getting something in return, when we feel like there is a reward. But Jesus says, don't be generous, don't give to those in need and worry about the reward. Instead, give to those in need and let God worry about the reward. You may be sitting there thinking to yourself, I really don't like it when the sermon is about money. It makes me feel uncomfortable. Sometimes I think churches are all about money. Here's why we talk about money every so often. The biggest reason we talk about it every so often is because God talks about money a lot. His Bible, his word is filled with verses about how we should handle material possessions and how we should handle money and how we should give. And because we believe that this is God's word, we talk about it because God talks about it. And the second reason that we talk about it is because there is a direct spiritual connection between our intimacy with God and our maturity and our walk with God and how we view and handle money. We can't get away from that. There is a direct connection between the two. And our willingness to to handle material possessions the way God calls us to is an indicator of how far we are in our maturity and our walk with him. And so we must talk about it. If it's important to God, it needs to be important to us. And God is not just concerned with the amount that we give, but he is, he is hugely interested in our hearts as we give. In fact, there's over 2,000 references in the Bible to giving gifts and to material possessions and offerings. Only about 40 of those speak to what we commonly refer to as the tithe or the amount of money that God asks us to give. Almost all the rest talk about the gifts that God finds pleasing. Because to God, it not only matters the amount that we give, our willingness to give, our generosity, but he is really interested in our hearts as we give. Are we giving of the right motives? And Jesus tells us that when we go to give, when we go to be generous, we ought not worry about the reward. If we worry about the reward, the recognition, and the people praising us, and people thinking we're nice people, and, and, and people uh, uh, putting our name up in lights, if we worry about the reward, Jesus says that can actually lead us further away from God. But if we are willing to just be generous in a way that nobody even knows in a way that we are comfortable with the fact that God sees and that's enough, in a way that we are willing to let God worry about the reward, then Jesus tells us we'll be blessed. And Jesus tells us we will receive a reward. I don't know exactly what that reward looks like from the Father, but Jesus tells us we'll receive it nonetheless.
You may ask yourself, well, how can we go about doing this? How can we help ourselves become people who are generous and willing to do it without caring what the results are? I think first we need to understand that we have a God who has been exceedingly generous to us. We have a God who sent his son down to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. He gave us everything that he had when you and I could repay him nothing. While we were still sinners, while our backs were still turned on him, while we had nothing that we could do that was worth anything to God, God sent his son, and God has been exceedingly generous to you and to me. He has been exceedingly generous to us, and because God has been exceedingly generous to me, it empowers me as his follower to go and to be exceedingly generous to others. Not caring about any reward except the one that might come from the Father. Not doing it in a way that my name becomes up in lights, but in a way that God gets the glory. Now let me be clear. I do not think that Jesus here is advocating that we should not keep records of our giving and that we should throw good stewardship to the wind, that we shouldn't take the tax credit, that we, that we, we should never have our names up on a plaque, that we should never do any of that. Jesus isn't writing all of that off, but what he is saying is he's saying, if that is the only reason you're giving, if the reward on this earth is your primary motivation, then there is a problem. I'm going to invite our worship team back to the stage as we close this morning. And as we do, I'd ask you to think about something with me. I think that if we can get this generosity thing right as followers of Jesus. Think about this with me. I really believe this. I think that if you and I as followers of Jesus Christ can give the way that God calls us to give, can give the way that Jesus calls us to give to others, truly generous, with no expectation of reward in this world, without caring about the recognition of others, without caring about people noticing what we're doing, without people caring about people patting us on the back and telling us we did a great job. If we could get this right, it would be one of the most powerful witnesses that followers of Jesus would have to the world outside. When the early church began 2,000 years ago, you might know that it was started in a culture that was not happy about its existence and in many ways tried to do whatever it could to snuff the church out. And one of the reasons that the church was, allowed, was able to, to maintain itself and able to grow was because of the extreme generosity displayed by the followers of Jesus Christ. The very early writings about the early church tell us in the book of Acts that the believers shared everything they had with one another. And there are multiple times throughout history where the generosity of Christians displayed in times of distress to those in need was a powerful catalyst for the sake of the gospel. I'll give you one to consider. In 360 AD, the Roman Empire was ruled by an emperor named Julian. 
It was only a few decades earlier that Rome had become a Christian nation or a Christian empire. And the emperor Julian, when he came to power, decided that he wanted to restore the pagan religions to the empire. That he wanted to bring back all the Roman gods and bring back all of that to where it used to be. But in 360 AD, he wrote a letter to a friend, and in that letter, he told him the reason why it would never work. He says, here's the problem. My desire is to restore the pagan religions of Rome, but the problem that we have is that the followers of the way, that the Christians take such good care of their poor, and they take such good care of all the other poor in the empire that if I bring back the pagan religion, the poor will suffer too greatly. So because of the generosity of the Christians, I have to let them remain. Listen, you and I live in a culture that would love to snuff out the voice of those who follow Jesus Christ. I don't know if I have to provide too much evidence that that's true. We live in a culture that's moving to remove the church and remove the followers of Jesus from a place of prominence and get it out of the culture more than put it into the culture. If we could get this right, if we could be known as the people who are exceedingly generous because God has been generous to us and for no reward in this earth other than we know our Father will reward us from heaven, it could be the most powerful witness to our world and to our culture and our friends and our relatives and our neighbors who have yet to know Christ that they've ever experienced. So let's pray that God would help you and help me to be able to do this well. To be able to be generous and let God worry about the rewards. God, we thank you this morning for your generosity to us. God, as we've sung this morning and talked about this morning, everything that we have comes from you. Lord, help us never to forget that. That what we have comes from you. And so, Lord, help us to steward those resources. Help us to use those resources in the way that you ask us to. God, would we be the kind of people who give and give generously and help those who are in need not that we might receive some sort of benefit here on this earth for ourselves, but so that your name might be great. God, we will give the way you call us to give and trust you for the reward. Help us to be those kinds of people. And we're trusting you that as we do what you're asking us to do, as we live generous lives, as we give of our resources and our time and our abilities, expecting no reward on this earth. That you will draw us closer to yourselves. That we will come to know you more and deepen our relationship with you. We thank you for it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing about the great God we have who has been so generous to us. Thanks again for listening to this sermon from the Belmont campus of Mount Hope. If you live in the Belmont area, we'd love to have you join us each Sunday at 10 a.m. 
Or if you'd like to know more about Mount Hope Christian Center with campuses in Burlington and Belmont, Massachusetts, you can visit our website at www.mounthope.org.